Earthlings. This episode is a special one because I'm just going to talk about COP28 here. I have been watching COP28 for many years. Uh, You may know that I am a former NPR environmental journalist, and I've been in the public relations space for clean technology for over 15 years. So I've watched a lot of cops come and go, okay? So what do we know about COP28? Well, the Conference of the Parties, a collection of over 100 countries, is climate change solutions by committee. And we all know what happens when you do something by committee. Look at all of the terrible Hollywood movies that come out because of screening them for various test audiences and then letting them get watered down. Same thing happens in my profession with certain uh, press releases that clients want to put out. It goes through the uh, sausage making machine. A lot of people touch it. A lot of people weigh in on it and you get something back that's completely watered down. And this is what's happening at COP. All these COP meetings, that's the bare minimum of agreement that they can get pushed through. When you have over a hundred countries attempting to negotiate a position, especially a position where they understand that making changes in their countries related to climate change, whether it's adaptation or mitigation, is at the end of the day, it's going to cost money and it might affect the growth of their economies. So you can understand why these governments might be resistant to changing the status quo of of using fossil fuels to gain energy and use energy. So what do we do about this? Well, you're never going to change international anarchy. That's what we have at the top level of our planet in terms of governments. And that's not going to change. In fact, there's also not much movement that can be gained if countries like China and India are not on board, especially with regards to the phasing out of coal plants, not building new ones, and reducing the use of those coal plants and reducing those emissions. Obviously, there's always going to be uh, people who want to promote and subsidize carbon capture and sequestration. That is technology that is being developed and prototyped and tested. It is coming, but it is certainly not at scale. And it's not something that we can uh, depend on for our collective future. Also, depend on overshoot. Okay. Now, that wasn't necessarily talked about specifically in the COP uh, proceedings, although I will admit that I have not read everything that has come out of COP. But there is this concept that we can overshoot our targets and then come back. And if you've listened to our Life at 3C episode, you know that is a very dangerous proposition because you don't know what kind of second and third order effects are going to happen when you overshoot on temperature rise. Melting ice sheets is just one problem related to that. Same thing with wet bulb temperatures, massive and intense heat waves, tremendous storms, carbon sinks going in the wrong direction. There are a lot of systems that could break down when we overshoot on our targets. And this is a natural world that we live in. And it coming back to the way we understand it to be today could happen. And it could take hundreds of thousands of years. 
So the Earth might bounce back, but not on a human scale. One thing I will say is that I am cautiously optimistic to hear that uh, Al Gore wants to change the rules of COP to make it more effective. I haven't read anything with any specificity about what those rule changes might be. So that's something to watch for. Now, there were a couple of bright spots in the proceedings, uh, namely the methane leaks agreement and the powering past coal alliance. Now, what really makes me want to throw up about these is that methane leaks, yes, terrible problem. Absolutely, we need to curb them. And kind of an easy thing to say yes to. There's no political pushback for agreeing to curb methane leaks. It's not like you're saying that you want to phase out coal or phase out fossil fuels. That has tremendous political and economic ramifications. Very hard to stand up for if you don't feel like your government and the constituents that you are representing have your back. Same thing with the Power Impasse Coal Alliance. Again, coal already economically unfeasible when compared to natural gas and renewable energy. Also, China and India were not on board with the uh, Power Impasse Coal Alliance as of today's recording. So again, something really easy to say yes to because it's not a political hot potato. And in fact, a lot of what came out of COP was sort of talking about natural gas as a fuel source because it has lower carbon emissions than coal, which is true. But obviously, we want to move away from all fossil fuel emissions into renewable energy. And the COP proceedings were able to have a greater emphasis on expanding these solutions. And so we look to see more countries adopting renewable energy programs, uh, which is great. Like it's all good stuff. But just remember that these are all things that are easy to say yes to. The hard stuff, phasing out coal, phasing out oil, fossil fuels, writ large, really hard to say yes to. And the fact that uh, COP29 is going to be in Azerbaijan next year, which is another petro state, phasing out oil, I would not expect to hear those words coming out of COP29. It leaves us where we've always been, which is understanding that governments are not going to move as quickly on climate as we want them to, uh, unless something horrible happens. And obviously, we don't want that to happen either. So what do we do? We move these technologies forward as fast as we can, as effectively as we can. We use the funding that we receive to propel these technologies in a responsible way. We make sure we use that money wisely. We make sure we invest money in companies that actually have a chance to scale. There's a lot of charlatans out there getting investment capital and then not doing anything with it. So we certainly want to curb that. We want to fund the best technologies, the best solutions. I'm not talking about picking winners and losers. I'm just talking about putting the money where it's going to be most effective in the shortest amount of time. Because they say we have less than six years at this point to curb the worst effects of climate change. And so we need to deploy, deploy, deploy renewable energy as fast as possible. Another thing I'll say is that with COP28 and ongoing, 
the finance for the Global South countries to adapt to the changes that are already happening in their regions is something that continue to be a sticking point at these meetings. There's a lot of money that is required to mitigate the worst effects of climate change and adapt. And frankly, the Global North countries, they're going to donate to that fund for the Global South countries, but it's probably never going to be enough for all kinds of reasons, right? And so that's going to be a constant thread that people will pick up and carry through. And if you recognize that, you can allow yourself to be pulled into that storyline, or you can understand the context of that and try not to get so emotionally manipulated by it. I mean, that's the major thing, right? We're always going to be disappointed with COP agreements. Just get used to that. It's always going to be watered down, and it's going to be the bare minimum that could be agreed upon, especially when a lot of countries have veto power. You have a cop being run by a petrostate, right? And you have fossil fuel lobbyists outnumbering the other people that are in attendance. Now, what I will say is that I'm starting to notice that these cop meetings are becoming a place for the most well-connected and upper echelon of clean energy, clean tech sustainability leaders to congregate. And it's kind of becoming like an industry show in a way, in addition to being a governance operation. So that's really interesting to me because uh, lots of people are making connections. They're making deals, good deals, the deals we want, not the Petro deals. And it's providing a place for these people to convene. And we need them to convene. We need them to meet. We need them to collaborate because there's not one solution that is going to solve the climate crisis. It is a myriad of solutions. And we need people connecting with each other to bring those solutions to scale. Now, I think it's important for you as you're watching COP proceedings to sort of turn down the noise, okay? So there will always be people that complain that these government representatives take private planes to the proceedings and they create a bunch of emissions in doing so, right? There's all kinds of security reasons why you would want to take a private plane if you're a government representative, and that is never going to change. Now, we will have electric planes and hydrogen power planes, and there is sustainable aviation fuel coming out, and I'm sure some countries will use those technologies to counter this uh, negative perception of using private aircraft to travel. But let's face it, most of us are still using fossil fuels to get around, whether it's a car or a bus or a train or a plane or a ship, many many solutions have not yet decarbonized. So to make a lot of noise about private aircraft, I think is a distraction. It's gossip and it's not helpful. Another thing I would say is that there are people who are starting to recognize that these COP meetings are not effective. They're kind of a joke and we can't rely on them in any meaningful way. And what we need to do is just continue to push our local governments, our state governments, our principality governments, province governments to be more active on climate change and give them political pressure. And that political pressure will rise up to the level of the people who are attending these COP meetings. 
And maybe at some point we will get some kind of binding resolution. But let's face it, international anarchy, they're never going to agree to anything that's binding. Okay, so it's all on the honor system. And sometimes the honor system works and sometimes it doesn't. What does work is when people put pressure on their policymakers and their representatives and they let those people know that their job is on the line if they do not act in accordance to what the constituency wants. That is where our power is. So don't let yourself get so distracted with these COP meetings. Yes, they kind of feel like a lot of BS. Yes, they are quite a waste of time and money. And it is the one time in a year that countries get together and force themselves to talk about the climate crisis. And every year we are getting these little incremental steps, which is a good thing, but it's not enough to combat the worst effects of climate change. And it is certainly not enough to keep us under this Paris Agreement 1.5C target. We are easily heading to a 3C world. And it's up to us as earthlings to ensure that that doesn't happen and make the changes that we can in our own lives and in our own locations to help prevent that. And if we all do that collectively, we do stand a fighting chance. Where does that leave us? International anarchy, watered down agreements, bare minimum agreements on what to do, smaller baby steps, oil states hosting these proceedings. So obviously direct conflict of interest. There's never going to be enough money to go around and political action may not happen fast enough until there's a tragedy. That all sounds really dire, but it doesn't have to be. We as earthlings hold tremendous power and influence. It's only that we've been told by the powers that be that we don't. And that one person can't change the world. Well, that is bullshit. Let me tell you, plenty of people have singularly changed the course of history, for good and bad. We have the power as earthlings to demand greater action. We just have to also communicate to our policymakers that if they choose to take that dramatic action, that we have their back and that we will stand with them and support them because those are very tough decisions. So we have to organize ourselves, organize our communities, organize our networks, and get everybody in alignment that this is something that we want to change. If we don't, we get a chance to accept the consequences. And there's going to be plenty of consequences <laughs> if we are not able to keep ourselves even remotely close to the 1.5 Paris Agreement targets. And that's a really hard one because if you remember what Neil Dijkman said in episodes 14 and 16, the Paris Agreement was decided before China and India became big coal emitters. So it didn't really take this stuff into account. So this is where we're at. We have to change the course of history for ourselves. No one is going to do it for us. It is up to you. And you have influence and you have power. You just haven't been told or taught how to use it. 
That's why I encourage you to start thinking about what influence you have. How can you help change this timeline for us and put us on a better trajectory? Because we're never going to change the international anarchy at the top echelon of our governments, right? So Earthlings, it's time for you to find your power and figure out how you want to use it. Because this beautiful blue-green space flower we call home desperately needs you. Hey listeners, this show is a part of the Resource Labs Network. It's a curated collective of industry leaders who are accelerating the clean energy transition. If you want to find out more, visit us at resourcelabs.co.